Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Media Business Podcast, brought to you by Media Business Insight, the publisher of Broadcast and Screen International. I'm Connor Dignam, Chief Executive Officer of Media Business Insight. Today, I'm sitting in the heart of Edinburgh, where every August since 1976, the Edinburgh TV Festival has been bringing more than 2,000 movers and shakers of the global television industry to the Scottish capital for three days of navel-gazing, hobnobbing and pitching TV ideas. And that's the focus of this special edition of the Media Business Podcast. Just how do you get your ideas under the nose of channel controllers with the cash to splash and the power to make it happen? In this podcast, we'll be featuring the highlights of some of the key TV festival interviews with controllers and commissioners across the next three days. We'll be featuring the big players of the UK market and also hearing from one of the streaming giants, Amazon, about its plans for UK TV commissioning and the big budget productions they're bringing to the UK market. So let's hear from the commissioners themselves, starting with Cassian Harrison, controller of BBC4, and Patrick Holland, controller of BBC2, interviewed in a joint session by Jackie Long, social affairs editor at Channel 4. This time last year, your big call out to the producers in the audience were to bring you big ideas, yeah. ideas of scale. Did they deliver for you? And what were the successes and the failures, dare I call them that? <laughs> so we were starting from scratch with the call out for Race Across the World because we wanted ideas of real scale. We wanted the producers to come to us and say, maybe there isn't something which is going to cost this amount of money and be filmed across this amount of days and, and take a factual entertainment show across, literally across the world in the way that that did. And um, we gave it a real focus. And I think that by giving it that focus and saying to producers, okay, the ideas need to be in by this point, and then we... Um, put development money with the ones that we really um, were excited by. And then we had a cutoff point in terms of when we were going to, um, to commission it. So the ideas were really exciting and really um, and did challenge us. And hopefully we did come good on that. And as I say, it had real impact for us, Race Across the World. We've recommissioned it for not one, but two more series. And so I was, you know, I could not be more delighted by its... T I mean, also in terms of its tone, in terms of its sense of purpose, there's lots of talk at the moment about factual entertainment and, you know, constructs and should we be putting people through um, particularly, you know, stressful situations. Race Across the World is a skills-based challenge show, which is very stressful, but it's also hugely filled with purpose. After making your changes to Fact Dent last year, you know, the, the, the big call-out this year is about features. And I'm just wondering... How do the people in this audience even begin to pitch to a channel which 
in your words, you know, you want to be contemporary and bold and diverse. And as, as I say, yet the average age of the audience is 62. I mean, how do they navigate that in terms of coming to you with ideas for features, say? So if you look at the channel this year and you look at Your Homemade Perfect, which is an eight o'clock show which uses VR technology as a way of looking into um, home transformation shows. I think it's the best home transformation show for a long time on telly. It's got a completely um, young uh, vibe to it. Angela Scanlon is fantastic as the presenter of it. And yet at the same time, it appeals to all audiences. So I think the to my point earlier that producers wanting to see content on the channel that I think, ah, oh, I could make, you know, but I get that tone. I understand what that tone is. Inside the factory, you know, lots and lots of people try and make um, imitations of Inside the Factory for other channels and they fail because Inside the Factory has got that unique um, tone and that unique sense of mischief purpose that makes it BBC Two. Um, and again, young audiences, older audiences come to it. So there's yeah, broadcasting brings people together. It can really bring people together. And if you're looking at an eight o'clock show and wondering what the tonality is, then those two pieces are, you know, a very good place to start. Also, remarkable places to eat with Fred Syriacs. That that there are that you can bring in audiences, young and old, if you have that spirit and if you have that uh, mischievous tone, but also that BBC Two ground. And yeah, across the board, the BBC is losing young audiences. It's, it's losing young audiences in, in areas of the, of the schedule. But as I said earlier, BBC Two, if you take it from July to July, so forget about the Winter Olympics, which slightly skewed the numbers the year before that was in the Ofcom report, in the um, annual report, then we've grown our young audience. We've grown our young audience on BBC Two because of all of the pieces that I'm talking about. So you're not worried? I'm, of course I'm worried. I'm worried in the sense that... Not, I'm not worried in the sense that I think that we don't have the answers. Has broadcast television got an issue with young audiences? Of course it has. But one of the answers But to BBC that... Two particularly, you know, it's always been a channel directed out or greeted by, if you like, older people, older posher people. No, it hasn't. I, I... 62, ABCs. But the whole of broadcast television is, has got older, posher people watching television. The BBC Two has not always been something which has only been focusing at older, posher people. That, as I've been saying for the last few years, BBC Two has got that unorthodox DNA. That's where it came from in the 90, you know, in the or 50 years ago. But if you look at the BBC Two that I grew up with in the 80s and 90s, then it was filled with pieces like The Fast Show, pieces like um, Our Friends in the North. I think that with pieces like Riz Ahmed's Inglistan and with pieces like um, Frankie Boyle's New World Order, that we have got that spirit, that tone back. Just a couple of years ago, top flight critics in The Guardian were still writing articles under the headline, what is the point of BBC Four? Mm -hmm. um, this year, Broadcast Digital Channel of the Year, do you think people now know what the point of BBC Four is? Um, I would hope so. I mean, I think that um, it's a little unfair even two years ago for people to be asking that question. I think that um, uh, BBC Four has always had a very clear remit about what it's what it's for and what it's about. And it's about, you know, it's a very distinctive offer, something that's very special, something I'm very proud of, which is, you know, it's a, it's a channel which is about diving deeper than any other British television channel does. It's a channel about culture. It's a channel about arts. It's a channel about music. And it's a channel with a global perspective. Last year, you spoke about 
your upcoming AI night mm -hmm. and the Made by Machine documentary. Is BBC4 still the home of experimentation and yes. should it be? Yes, absolutely. And again, I think that's um, uh, something I'm tremendously proud of, which is that we have the flexibility and the space to be able to do things and to look at forms of programming that BBC1 and 2 inevitably can't. But we should also be, and the, I feel that the channel should be, a testbed uh, for other ways and new ways of making television. I mean, the AI night was... Um, interesting. I think it was uh, reassuring insofar as I don't think any of us are under threat from being replaced by artificially intelligent schedulers in the near future. Um, but as ways of exploring what are the boundaries of what television could look like and what its shape can be, uh, I think that BBC4 is a brilliant place to do that. Um, you know, we've been doing other, you know, very kind of interesting, you know, eclectic again in the in, from the drama perspective pieces, a brilliant piece called Make, Make Me Up by a, a young artist called uh, uh, Rachel McLean, which is an extraordinary kind of fever dream of um, kind of post-Handmaid's Tale feminism that looks completely unlike anything else that you would see on contemporary British television. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the Media Business Podcast, direct from the Edinburgh TV Festival, and I'm joined by Alex Zivelkink, who's the Managing Editor of the Commissioning Index. Uh, so Alex, um, it's very busy here, lots of stuff happening, lots of sessions. What are, you, uh, what are you seeing and what are some of the key themes? Yes, um, it is very busy here. There's a good bus going around. Um, all the main broadcasters are well represented. Um, their controllers are all attending and most of them are speaking. Um, a lot of commissioner sessions, um, including some of the newbies. Uh, CBS All Access um, is uh, attending, as is Georgia Brown from Amazon. Um, some of the key trends. Um, we see a lot about news and uh, um, the battle of fake news, factual, documentary making. Um, Editor-in-chief of Broadcast Magazine, Chris Curtis, did a session on uh, making a mega doc, which was fascinating and well attended. Um, I think it's, it's a current fake news debate and the doubt that people have uh, about the media that's uh, kind of leading 
the current um, the current trends and and that's not just here in Edinburgh that's also um, what the commissioners are asking for we see uh, uh, commissioning teams uh, especially in factual growing um, the asphalts have, have played a great um, big role in um, in uh, in the growth of factual programming and documentary making um, but that's not it um, there's obviously everybody's looking for the new um, love island um, you know the rating uh, the ratings war is on in that uh, entertainment space and also um, there's a lot more drama and demand for drama channel 5 have now entered the drama realm so um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that you've got how many commissioners in the commissioning index Alex the commissioner index now has 426 commissioners listed um, and we have a database of over 15,000 productions UK and US and how much um, do you think is missing from the analysis that's in the controller sessions here is they they is it mostly the positive and not that much of the negative luckily yes um, we have a team of media researchers that make sure that they attend all the sessions uh, and make sure that they get new intricacies out of uh, what commissioners and controllers are looking for but overall we we are in daily conversations with the broadcasters and have all the updates that are required so um, I wouldn't say there are big shocking reveals for us uh, here in Edinburgh Channel 5 in recent years has turned around performance and perceptions under controller Ben Frau. It's now punching well above its weight and is increasingly popular with viewers, critics and producers who like Frau's no-nonsense style and commitment to respond quickly to pitch ideas. I decided I, I suffer from pre-ratings anxiety mm. and post-ratings depression. Um, <laughs> What's the sweet spot, then? Well, this, well there is no sweet spot. The real sweet spot, I was saying to a group of uh, young people yesterday... The real sweet spot is when it's so bad that you've got nothing to lose and you can rip the whole thing up without, without fear of failure. Uh, the, uh, the most agonising bit is when you've had a really successful run like we've just had and then you're starting to hit the autumn and the money's a bit tighter and the competition's a bit tougher and you go, OK, this is where we have to dig even deeper. We thought it was tough before. Do you sleep well? I sleep well in my, in my bed last night. I did sleep well. I sleep better if I don't drink so much. It's a really good tip, actually. It's a really good tip. If you stop drinking at nine and then you can have a, you know, a, like a good b- bottle of water before you go to bed, you sleep really well. Do you think if you people... keep drinking up until when you go to bed, you don't sleep so well. Do people booze too much in the TV industry? I do. Because I, I, because I think, genuinely, and it started off from when I was in theatre, you know, when you're working really hard and you go home and you're always thinking, you know, there's not a... I set myself a challenge coming up, up on the train from... London, you know, how many ideas can I think of before I can get to Edinburgh? So, you know, Gosh. you're reading the papers, you're watching Succession, you're looking at the posters in the train stations, you're going, is that an idea, is that an idea? OK, Ben, you've got an hour to think of ten royal documentaries that you can do. Go now, <laughs> you know. And then, when, so when you get home yeah. at night, you kind of go, I just need to come down really quickly. And so it's a very strong vodka and tonic. And just go, now I can breathe. And then you kind of go, now I can relax. I sense... Uh and a real uh, changing audience of late. Am I right? Is the audience changing in, in who they are? Yeah, the audience is changing in that we are much less obsessed by young people. Um, we've changed the way that we've sold our demos uh, and we're much more interested in um, upmarket people and, and a mature audience. Um, I think there is a place for young people on digital channels, but you know, trying to snare a young person nowadays is really goddamn hard. And... Um, uh, I kind of, in a way, have never really worried about the demos so much because I've always believed that 
and especially in this new world order where there are so many challenges, uh, so many channels and so many options for people, at the end of the day, it just comes down to content. I'm not sure viewers really know what channels they're watching, what they know is content, what they know is a great series that their friends have talked about or that they've read about or they've heard about or that they've found um, and that they then share. Um, but definitely our audience is more at market. Uh, definitely it is... Uh, I think our programming is much more intelligent. I think if you look at the faces we have on the channel now, you know, the Paxmans, Esther Ranson, the Portillos, you know, the Palins of this world. Uh, I'm not saying that there's, there's work to be done. It's, it's, it's alarming how few women there are out there that you can really bring to a channel and make a statement. I think that's a really interesting discovery of the last few months. Um, so there's work to be done and all that kind of stuff, but definitely our audience is more upmarket, and, and I'm, I'm kind of happy in that zone. So no longer, so you're not chasing youth, you're not chasing I, youth I, No point chasing anything. Uh, I can't run I mean, fast enough moment. to chase anything. I think you just, look, I think you just have to do, is it a good idea? Do we believe people will come? How can we make it in a way that will make people find it, like it, enjoy it, be rewarded by it? And then you do it. I do think we have huge amount- Do you want amount to be cool? No. You don't, the last you don't thing want I'd want to be, to be cool. That must be really hard work to be cool. I mean, I would argue, I'd like to be different. I'd argue that the, uh, at the moment the BBC desperately want no, a young audience and they, they you know, I, I, don't I have work them. for the BBC, they, see, look, we want if, to be cool. If you're going to go sort of like randomly fishing and chucking stuff out there to try and attract young people, that costs a lot of money. Mm. I don't have that kind of money. I've got 200 million. Same budget essentially I had seven years ago when I came to the channel. You know, so really you've got to think about how you're going to spend that money and you've got to be pretty sure you're going to get a return on investment. And you're going to be pretty sure that programme is going to work. There's only a limited room for failure when you have a limited amount of money and you have all those slots to fill and you're competing. So you kind of, you know, you can take the odd risk here and there and it can be a bit of a funny one. You know, people like Puss, Zitiar or, you know, Hot Yoga, Hot Body or whatever. You can have these fun pieces, yeah. but really you've got to put most of the money on something that is... is pretty much going to deliver for you in some form or other, whether it's ratings or revenue or reputation. The one theme running through every controller session is the increasing competition for the best ideas and talent. Even the BBC can't rest on its laurels now and is competing with the likes of Netflix and Amazon. So what are Amazon's plans for the UK when it comes to commissioning? And how will local commissioning fit into the platform's global ambitions? Georgia Brown, Amazon's director of European Originals, was in the controller's chair, interviewed by Aisha Hazaraki. We started up a couple of years ago and I was the first non-US hire for studios. So prior to that, everything was run out of Los Angeles. And then when we went global in 2016, um, really we had a different conversation with our audience at that point. And it was very clear that what they wanted were local originals in local language. They love our US originals. They travel incredibly well around the globe, but they really wanted to see something that was a bit more... Um, in passion to their life and something that resonated well with them. So they brought me on board to set up the studios and there's a couple of phases to that. So phase one is obviously physically setting it up uh, and that's an awful lot of work. So we've been busy recruiting as lots of you know um, and getting the infrastructure of the team right. And that's not just the creative team and we'll come on to talk about them in a bit, but that's everything from production, post-production, finance, business affairs, legal, because if we're truly going to be local, we can't just be operating creatively locally. We have to make sure our deals um, adhere to local laws, local regula regulation. Um, so that's really important to us. So that kind of phase one of setting up the team is very much in motion and we're nearly there, I'm pleased to say. Um, and then I suppose phase two of that is 
working out what our customers actually want. What do the audience want? And therefore, what do we want you guys to start pitching us, which I know is forever the challenge. Um, and it's been a really fantastic journey trying to figure that out. Uh, Jen Salky, when she started, summed it up really well, which was, we're going to be the studio that creatives want to call home. We're going to be the place they want to come back to. And really what that means is we have to be focused on two people in the world. Firstly, it's our audience and we have to be completely obsessed with them. What do they want to watch? What aren't they getting on television? What voices do they need to see? And then it's also the producers. You know, what stories have they been itching to tell for years and years, but there just hasn't quite been the right home or the right slot or the money to back up that idea. Um, and she very much is leading our studio creatively. Everything we do starts with the creative and works back, backwards from that. So people are often shocked. I know we've spoken about this when they come into the studio and pitch ideas and we're never the people that will say, can you make it for this amount of money and delivering Q419? That's just not the way we operate. A show takes as long as a show takes to develop. I think that'll come as a relief to many people. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I, I guess that, that will come on to, again, our different model and how we're unique, but we don't have the idea of slots that we have to work to. So we can be quite fluid in the creative process, which allows ideas to really come to life in a way that maybe they wouldn't under different pressures. And in terms of your, I suppose, your, your competitors, mm. the, the Netflix and, and like, how would you say you differentiate from them? What's different about what you're offering? I think our, our setup on our model is incredibly different for a start. You know, at Amazon, it's not just an SVOD service. Um, and if you're looking at video alone, it's so much more than that. We have TVOD, we have channels, we have Prime Video Direct. But as a business, we offer so much more. As I said earlier, a, a creative can now come to us with just a topic or a genre or an idea that they're not quite sure what it is yet. And we can sit there and have that discussion. Is this TV? Is it a movie? Actually, is it a clothing line? Is it that you have to go off and do a soundtrack? I don't know. There's so many different ways that you can work within the Amazon business that's not just um, this kind of SVOD streaming route. I think that offers just um, a variety of riches for creators coming to work with us. So you're not offering people a kind of, you know, a, a single model. It's a very bespoke yeah. sort of deal in terms of Absolutely. what their different needs are. Absolutely. And that comes back to kind of our, our mission, I suppose, which Jen set out, which is we're not the service that's going to come to the market with hundreds of new commissions every month. We're going to be so bespoke and we're going to be so focused in our offering. We're not doing the volume game. We're very much about fewer, bigger, better. And again, that allows us to give ideas a room to breathe yeah. and to develop into what they need to be without having to force them into certain slots or genres or timelines to be beholden to a business. So I'm joined by Hannah Bowler, who's the senior researcher for uh, the Commissioning Index and specialises in US commissioners and controllers. Hannah, you, you, you talk to these guys all the time. What's the big difference between when they're looking for a commission in the US versus the UK, how they operate and how they go about it? Well, I guess the big difference um, between the US and the UK is, is, is volume and the amount of projects that are in the market but also the amount of buyers in the market so it means there's actually quite a lot of places for you to go with different ideas and if it doesn't fit one there's always kind of room for it to go which in the UK you could have like a smaller pool of broadcasters to take your idea to um, but I guess the main difference would be there's an agent system which can often be restrictive but also beneficial because the, the agent could really break down for you a lot of things that you don't understand so um, you need an agent not, not in every circumstance. They can be useful. Um, they can be useful just mainly translating the language and, and kind of the nuances between what happens over there and kind of the UK system. Um, but sometimes you can get in without an agent and it can just kind of work case by case. 
Um, we're quite lucky at the moment because the US are kind of really calling out for UK producers in both factual and in drama. I think there's a kind of way of looking at the UK as specialists in factual and in drama. Um, so you have a lot of US networks kind of queuing up on who are the big producers in the UK, who's bringing out noteworthy um, noteworthy things. So it's a good time really to kind of take your idea out to the US. We're definitely on the radar. And one notable absence here from the controller sessions and commission sessions is Netflix. Why do you think they're not here? Quite simply, they probably don't need to be. Their inboxes are full enough as it is. Ian Katz, director of programs for Channel 4, is still a relative new boy in the world of TV and in his job. His background is news, but he's now running a cross-genre channel where he needs to deliver creative and commercially successful shows in drama and factual. And as Channel 4 moves to create a new national HQ in Leeds, what will that mean for those pitching ideas? Broadcaster Anita Anand asks the questions. Let us now talk about the, the big one, shall we? The creation of Leeds as the nation, national HQ, uh, creative hubs in Glasgow and Bristol. This is the biggest change in Channel 4's history. How much of your life is filled with excitement and dread fear at the moment? Oh, it's overwhelmingly excitement now. I mean, I think we've done a lot of the tough parts of this, um, which has been working out which roles we want to move um, and we're into the really exciting bit now. We've spent um, the last few months hiring into the roles in the, in the uh, national offices, and I'm incredibly excited by the sort of people um, we've been attracting. So we've got, as our head of uh, our Glasgow hub, Joe Street, who's one of the most respected commissioners around. She's going to be our head of daytime and head of, head of Glasgow. Uh, we've got Sasha Mertzov, who's a fantastic uh, documentary maker and a passionate, passionate advocate for... Bristol, who's going to be our head of hub in Bristol. Fabulous Squire Martha Lloyd, the S4C drama commissioner who's responsible for a lot of the sort of Welsh noir hits like Keeping Faith. Um, he's going to be our, our scripted commissioner in Bristol and terrific uh, appointments in Leeds. You're going to see Caroline Hollick in a second as our head of drama who's now based in Leeds. So I think we've, we've already got um, an extraordinary calibre of people coming in and we've got roles with real... Uh, weight and decision-making influence. The challenge over the next six months is going to be actually figuring out how to work integrated commissioning teams that are spread over four locations. How, how do meetings actually look? How do we, when do we all see each other? Yeah. Are, are you irritated with this? This it sort of almost feels like a perpetual uh, narrative that senior executives are not moving to Lon from London to Leeds. No, I think it's a fair. I think it's a fair challenge. Um, I think that. I mean, the reality is, um, the larger part of my commissioning team is still going to be in London. I'm going to have to be across all our bases some of the time. I'm going to be travelling every week. Um, both Alex and I will be travelling every week. Um, Kelly Webb Lamb, my deputy, will be um, somewhere most weeks. So I think there'll be plenty of, of coverage uh, at our level, but. You know, we've got a lot of really senior people, as I mm. said. We've got uh, heads of commissioning departments. We've got the wonderful Sinead Rocks, our managing director in Leeds, who's a, a fantastically uh, dynamic and inspiring figure. We're going to have a very senior figure running our digital operation, the um, digital creative unit in Leeds. Mm. So there won't be a shortage of, of senior figures. But it's true to say that most Channel 4 staff would rather take redundancy than move. Um, 
What does that tell you? I'm not sure what it tells you. I mean, one of, one of the, I mean, if I can just talk about my world, which is the commissioning bit, one of the problems that we've got is that commissioning editors' jobs are senior jobs that people get to quite late in their careers, by which time they've generally got family, often got kids, and they're quite embedded. It's much harder for them to move. If we had a wider population uh, in commissioning of, you know, 20-somethings uh, who were single and unencumbered, I think we'd have lots more movers. But we have got some people moving. And by the way, as I've said before, if, if, if we had 50 or 60% of people going, you'd be asking me why we aren't hiring more local talent. I'm just going to read you. I mean, this is, this is not from me. This is from Leeds Live, the website. Um, so I just, I'm just really interested to hear what you, you think of what they are saying in Leeds. Channel 4 choosing Leeds for its new HQ was a huge win for the city. We proved ourselves a developing, tech-savvy, creative, blossoming city that would be a perfect northern home for a major broadcaster. So you can understand why the news that most Channel 4 staff were chasing redundancy instead of relocating was such a kick in the teeth. I just haven't encountered that view at all. I'm in Leeds a lot. And I just as I talked to the Leeds Indies. I talked to civic people in, in, in Leeds who've been involved in, in the bid. That is just not what we're hearing. What we are hearing is universal enthusiasm about what the arrival of Channel 4 is going to do for the city, for the area, excitement about the fact that, that Indies are opening offices there, that Pact has moved up there. I just, I, I just don't think that's a, a duck that really flies. Okay. Um, I can only imagine because I've never had such a lofty position and never will. But commissioning um, meetings, I can imagine, is a little bit like herding cats, C-A-T-S. Um, how are you going to manage this? I mean, you sort of touched on this a little bit. That you, this is the big challenge. Glasgow, Bristol, Creative Hubs, Leeds. You know, how, how are you going to... Just let us in on a bit of the thinking of what you might be doing. I was going to say, maybe we could do this in next year's meeting. <laughs> I'll actually give you an answer. Um, look, we're going to have to be really creative. We're trying to learn at the moment from organisations that do operate across split locations. Um, fortunately, my boss, Alex, has run a business across multiple locations, so knows a bit about this. But we, we are investing in video conferencing, uh, unsurprisingly. I mean, you work at the BBC. You'll have been in the same meetings that I used to be in in my old life at the BBC, where you would frequently have um, Manchester, um, Glasgow, Cardiff, all on teleconferenced into the same meetings. We're going to have to get used to doing a lot of that. We already have uh, our head of sport and our head of drama based in Leeds who are now regularly teleconferenced into our meetings. And we're just trying to work out what the right rhythm of actual physical connection is because it can't all be uh, technology. We are all going to have to get together some of the time. So mm. we're working out, is that going to be in London some of the time, in Leeds some of the time? But we're learning and we're, mm. we're figuring that out. There are moments in life where I wish I wore spectacles because I would move them down to the end of my nose and look over the top and say, please, uh, Ian Katz, will you give us a definite opening day for Leeds? Um, yeah, I should know the answer to this. It's, it's October. October. Oh. I should say, by the way... October, oh, hang on, October which year? No, 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 we'll be up and running. Look, we are up and running. I, I, you can talk to Caroline about it in a second. Caroline is in an office in Leeds right now, but we have got a kind of... Um, uh, uh, we've got a temporary space in an office right now, and imminently we're going to move into another office in Leeds, for this is all very boring, for a year, while we uh, revamp the Majestic, which is the old nightclub uh, in Leeds, which is going to be our permanent base, but not for a year's time. But we will be... We are up and running in Leeds right now. 
we will have uh, a number of commissioners up and running in Leeds in the autumn. BBC One remains the BBC's flagship channel and the UK's most watched channel. But what is its controller Charlotte Moore planning and what areas of the schedule are up for grabs? With the increasing power of the iPlayer and soon to launch BritBox, what does the growth of on-demand mean for the BBC's commissioning and scheduling strategy? Newscaster Tom Bradby asked the questions. For us, I think that's very clear what the BBC's place in the market is. I think it's to tell British stories with British talent um, about subjects and issues that, that, you know, the very diverse communities of Britain are interested in. So that makes, I think, a very unique focus for British broadcasters that can really kind of talk to that. I'm obviously not driven by commercial imperative in an ad-funded way, so I also range in breadth Mm -hmm. and, and, and making sure that we cover all of that across all the channels becomes really important. But I'm quite sure that there will be, you know, often newcomers to a new world then get overtaken by others who learn from them. And I think Mm. we're going to see seismic change in in those platforms in the next years. And how, how, I mean, again, I talked just now about how I think channels and iPlayer work together. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact we have channels is so powerful for all of us. The fact that it's like almost you're using your channels to market that content. And obviously, the other way we're responding to that is is iPlayer and obviously Ofcom have just given us approval for, you know, after yeah. a lengthy pit to have those 12 yeah. months, which again, will give, give even greater offer and it'll be more for us to try and help audiences find that offer and surface that. Can so I, I just talk about be... region specific for exciting. a moment? Because mm. I, I think we talked a while ago, when I watched Sex Education, which I thought was pretty good on Netflix, I, I, the thing I found most extraordinary about it was two things. One, there was, you, you could clearly tell it was somewhere in the UK, but there was no idea where. There was almost no specific cultural reference, no sport, nothing that could have actually placed it as English. And yet, weirdly, as a viewer, that didn't unduly bother me. So is that the way it's going, or do you think they will begin to adapt to the, the criticisms they face and become more region-specific too? I don't think anyone can be as regionally specific as we all need and want to be. And I think that's incumbent on us as British broadcasters to to do that. So, and the BBC is absolutely at the heart of that. So, um, I think a sense of place, a sense of authenticity, I actually think that's what made many of our shows so incredibly successful. I mean, I think someone like Gentleman Jack is absolutely rooted in truth in that place, in that sense where it was really quite specific. To, to Anne Lister's life. So I think that's its great strength. I'd probably say the same for Happy Valley. I'd say the mm. same for years and years. I'd say, you know, we're, I, I think specificity is, is incredibly powerful and I think audiences really love it. Mm. Do I think everything has to have that? No. Um, we're always playing with different ways of telling stories. But, uh, but we're always looking for a diversity of voice. We're looking for stories we haven't heard before or subjects we've perhaps visited before, but we're telling them with a new perspective. Um, so I, 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 think, I think when there's so much choice, I think it, it, it's, it's, it might be challenging, but I think it's incredibly exciting for creatives to think, how's my piece going to stand out? And I think that sense of place and, and having your own authorship will become increasingly important. For people wanting to pitch to you um, mm. any kind of idea, is what you want just in general changing as a result of these things we're talking yeah. about? Or is it pretty yeah. similar to what you've always looked for? No, I think it obviously it changes every year. Partly because when you have such a wealth of 
of, uh, of, of good programming out there, mm. it, it's more incumbent on us to stand out and feel like we're doing something new. And I, I think wherever we take risks and wherever we venture into territory we haven't gone before or are brave with our storytelling, actually usually you get massive audience reward. Because I think like all of us, we all want something new and different. We don't want to go, oh, that's a bit like that. Or that was something I've watched before. Because there's so much choice, I don't need to watch something similar. That's not to say that those big loved shows whether it's Strictly or MasterChef or Silent Witness, you know, it's not to say that you're not constantly refreshing them. And we spend a lot of time with the commissioning team thinking about those big shows and how can we bring them to new audiences. And I think last year's Silent Witness had some of the largest 16 to 34 audiences that we'd ever had before. Mm. I think that was because we'd had all the past series on iPlayer. And so there was a kind of real, um, uh, I think we'd brought, literally brought new generations mm -hmm. in the same way that I think when, you know, the um, much anticipated Gavin and Stacey lands mm. this Christmas, I, I know that all those, you know, that's 10 years. Yeah. And um, I know that there's going to be new generations uh, experiencing Gavin and Stacey for the first time. ITV has recently had the highs of Love Island and the lows of the Jeremy Kyle controversy. At the helm is one of the industry's most experienced controllers, Kevin Ligo. So what are his plans to succeed in a market where audiences are falling and competition has never been tougher? Sky's Kay Burley put the questions to him. 13.3 million of UK households have signed up to paid TV services. That's risen from 11.2 million in 2017. Pretty impressive. Um, broadcasters like iPlayer and your own hub as well, of course, uh, haven't budged, it would appear. They are struggling to keep pace with these fangs. Why do you think that is? I think, remember that an extraordinary amount of television that's viewed is still live and from terrestrial television. Is that true? Yeah, honestly, it's still... I wish I could remember the figure, but it's like 82% is still live on the night, honestly. And people in the industry sometimes get a little bit obsessed with television in the sense that everybody watches lots and just about everybody watches lots and lots of television. But it doesn't mean it's the most important thing in their lives. A lot of people, after a hard day's work or whatever it is, plonk themselves down and go, what's on tonight? So the and overnights are still really important. Yeah, they're really important. And, and anyone... It's only people who aren't getting good overnights say they're not important. Um, and so I can proudly say they're terribly important at the moment. No, they are. They're a, and they're, even if they're going down, they're still a really good uh, indication of how popular a programme is, how many people are going to watch it. So with dramas more and more, you see the overnights have generally gone down. I mean, I bet five years ago, if Charlotte or I were um, asked, what do you think drama's going to get? We wouldn't have thought on an overnight rating they'd be, you know, four, four million plus now is quite good because the catch-up is huge now. We've just tried our first... The BBC have, have done this before because it's easier for them because they don't have to earn a living. But the... Um, <laughs> the, the, the Deep Water, which is a good drama, I recommend it's on the, on the hub if you want to watch it all in one go, um, is the first drama we've put episode one out on the main channel and then made it all available on the hub. And we were very curious. We're really as an experiment to see what happens. And sure enough, a much larger number than normal um, went ahead and over the week between episode one and two have watched 
two, three, four, five, six episodes. Mm. Um, this then comes off your overnight figure. And so the, it went from 3.9 to 2.9, and we thought, oh no, what's going to happen? Is this a disaster? And then you look to see how many people had watched it before it went out, if you sort of mean. Yeah. And um, it was well over a million. And so actually it's fine. Our challenge is how do we make money out of those people if they're watching it um, on a service where there aren't any ads? Uh, and that's our dilemma. You set a BritBox for five ninety nine a yeah. month. No, we, we, BritBox is a, is, is, is a different thing and a wonderful thing. You're not going to put new content on there? There will be some new content, but I think, I think with the... Look. In which case, why would I pay five ninety nine a month to watch BritBox with repeats of Poirot that I can watch on ITV3? Yeah, because there's, there's a lot more to it than repeats of Poirot, marvellous though they are. Um, I, you know, this is going to have... BritBox is many things. BritBox is us looking for a new revenue stream that doesn't um, cannibalise advertising revenue, that isn't just um, off the back of the success of our studios business and our, our global production business, which is doing well. But, you know, everyone knows that advertising is challenged and, and an uncertain future. I wouldn't say... I mean, people have been saying it's an uncertain future for as long as I've been telling, but, but you know, there's no doubt it's, it's challenged. And so BritBox is about subscription television. We all know that viewers and ourselves... It's lovely to watch shows on those streaming services. You know, you choose what you want, when you want, how you want, you stay up late, watch all the episodes, whatever you want. And that form of viewing, without advertising, is really pleasurable. And so we want to be in that business as well, because we just want to be where the audiences are. So that's partly why we're doing it. Um, it won't, we don't believe, cannibalise our own service. It is not obviously a rival to Netflix and Amazon who spend billions and billions. This is a way of... And soon to be Comcast. And Yes. So, to, um, to use the archive of the BBC and ITV, all the research that we did and, and investigations and common sense would tell you British people are mostly interested in British programming. And though Netflix and Amazon are wonderful things, they don't do very much British programming at all. Um, they, took, they say they will. We haven't seen any yet. Let's wait. Um, but this will be full of, yes, famous old shows from the past, from yeah. both the BBC and ITV archives. But, you know, as stuff, there's so much to watch now. And your availability to watch hasn't increased so much. You still essentially watch television in the evenings between, you know, 6 and 11. If you think of what you haven't watched, take a successful drama that gets five, six million viewers, that means 40 million people haven't seen it. And I've, I've always, how many times I say, it's so frustrating when you make a really good show, drama or not drama, and people don't come, they don't watch it. You think, if I just could tie these people to a radiator and make them watch it, <laughs> it would be, um, I know they'd enjoy it and they'd stick with it. And so when there's this plethora of choice, uh, it's harder and harder to get people. So one of the things that will be is, the word of mouth about, oh, did you see that show? No, I didn't, I was out, I missed it, whatever. Well, it'll always be there on BritBox, you know, until the day we die.
And that's it for another year at the Edinburgh TV Festival. My thanks to the team at the festival for helping with this podcast, and my thanks to you for listening. We'll be back in another edition of the Media Business Podcast in a few weeks' time, so hit subscribe in your podcast app of choice and tell your colleagues to give us a listen. Remember, you can catch up with all episodes of the Media Business Podcast at broadcastnow.co.uk. You can also access more than 400 commissioners through our commissioning index service. The Media Business Podcast is a PPM production for Media Business Insight, produced by Rebecca Grisdale-Sherry. From me, Connor Dignam, it's goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com style.